Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of Breakthrough, a Dale Carnegie podcast. If you are a student leader looking to level up not only your leadership, but just your personal development, you're in the right place. Uh, we are interviewing every single week uh, students, your peers, uh, parents, educators, just people who are doing uh, big things and making impacts in the world and just things that we have a lot uh, a lot to learn from. And so I'm super excited because our guest today, he's the, the author of Five and a Half Mentors. He's a TEDx speecher, uh, speaker, perfect, uh, certified <laughs> Dale Carnegie instructor. He's a performance coach and mentorship thought leader. Uh, he's best known for taking you know original and adaptive methods to help people pursue lives of purpose. And, uh, and most importantly, he's a family man. He is a, a devoted husband, and proud father of two. Doug Stewart, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you today um, and would love for you to share a little bit more of your story as we dive in. Yeah, for sure. Parker, man, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you, uh, you, you, and, you and Faith having me on. Faith, thank you as well. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here. You know, I've, 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 had the, I've had the privilege to be around both of you for a little while and, and anytime you get to um, you get to participate in in something like this with people that you that you like and that you respect. It's um it's fun. It's an honor. So 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 thank you. Um, you know Parker, there Parker to your to your question. There's a lot of starting points. You know that's kind of the that's kind of the the interesting thing about about life is sometimes we think that we have a, a starting place when you know we we start stop reverse move get blocked you know yeah. start again you know many many times so. Um, to, to make sure that I that I take the plane off in the right direction, um, where do you what what starting place do you want me to start at? Yeah, well, I mean, we got so many people listening that are kind of in that you know early high school college phase. I mean, take us back there for a little bit, you know, and just give us a little bit of context for who you were, and then let's look at you know now, you know, where you're at now, and just take that little bit of contrast as we're as we're getting started. Yeah, so so I guess your your first your first job is to be a good student is is kind of a, a common thought that that people have. Uh, so let's just say I was bad at my job when I was young. Um, I was a terrible student, man, and I, I was a I was a terrible student because um, I had a number of learning disabilities that that made school really hard. Um, one as a few examples is like dyslexia, really really bad. There wasn't voice to text back then. Yeah. Um, there, there, and and I and I was in. I grew up in a in a pretty small town here in North Carolina, that I, I know for a fact that people wanted to help me, but there wasn't the resources to really help me. And so over time, that becomes a frustration, and that frustration can turn into things that are, let's say, not serving um, to to the development of a of a of a young kid that's struggling with. Um, their, the, the way they see themselves intellectually, yeah. right? So uh, from the time I was in kindergarten until the time I graduated high school, I never passed a grade on my own merit. You know, I, I either went to summer school or got pushed through by the teacher because they couldn't imagine a universe in which I was in their class again the next year, you know, um, or the basketball coach made sure that I got to the next, the next grade, right? Because fortunately for everything that I lacked, uh, in terms of my ability in the classroom, I really excelled um, in the in the on the basketball court, which was was really was really complicated for 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 a while. And and my guess is that many people can have this complication where 
there are areas in your life that you feel absolutely worthless, but then there's another area or, or other areas where you feel accepted, loved, appreciated. You, you feel um, uh, maybe like you, you belong there. And it, for me, it was like, it was like 30 feet was the difference there because in our in our gym we had a we had a class there, there were there were classrooms like in the gym like around um around where you kind of entered and exited the the basketball court and i can remember like i would be on the basketball court and like people would tell me i was special right because of my ability and you know from a you know by the time i was an eighth grader i had college division one colleges looking at me talking to me Wow. Um, and I was, I felt special. I was special. I was getting attention. I was doing well, but 30 feet, 30 feet was the difference when I would walk into a classroom and they would tell me I was special. They just meant something different. Right. Um, and so being between those two worlds, um, was, was tough. You know, and and I will say, though, sort of to fast forward, it's been knowing how to operate in a world like that has been one of what I would consider a competitive advantage for me as an adult. Uh, and the reason is, is I got really comfortable with losing. As a student, I got really comfortable with people being disappointed in me. <laughs> you know, I got really I got really comfortable with people not particularly liking me, um, you know, teachers, and a lot of times people in authority, most of the time people in authority. And, um, and, and as, as that has worked itself out in my career, I have, it's helped me because I've, I'm not afraid of failure. Um, like other people that, that, that I've, that I've met over the years, um, because I've done it so much. Like I failed so much that, you know, after a while you realize like, oh, like there's, it doesn't really matter that I failed at this thing, you know? And so the goal now is like, no, not there. You, you try to fail, but it's non-fatal errors. You know, mm. you want to stay away from the fatal ones, right? You want to stay away from the ones that, that will ruin you financially or, or, or would be, you know, something you can't overcome in your, in your, uh, in your work. Um, but we get, we get, especially when we're young, man, I think we put ourselves in this, in this place where we think that a failure really matters, you know, but like no one ever asked me what my GPA in high school was or in college. Um, and sometimes it matters, right? If you're going to be a surgeon, I don't want the, I don't want a guy that, or I don't want a surgeon that was a C student. You know, I don't want, I don't want, um, if, if the, if the doctor is going to give me a knee replacement, I want to know that she graduated with honors. You know what I mean? Um, technically some of that stuff matters, but in business, um, in, in other disciplines, it matters less. And so kind of knowing that like, it's not the end of the world when I make a mistake, when I, when I have a perceived failure. And a lot of times we think more about ourselves than anyone else. And we think people really care. And they don't care as much as we, we think they care, you know? Absolutely. Seeing the contrast that you made, um, going back to high school, just 30 feet, right? That difference between the classroom and the basketball court, a place where you felt so special and, um, 
loved and appreciated, right. And valued. And then, and then a place just 30 feet away where you felt almost defeated and had to accept failure. Um, but how that has transformed you and has propelled you as a person into where you are today, how has not being afraid of failure now gave you a leg up or a competitive advantage? You know, how has it really showed out in your career of where you are now? Yeah, I, I read a I read a book pretty early in my career by Seth Godin. And one of the there was a passage that that really has stuck with me. Uh, and he said that um, risky is safe and safe is risky when it comes to your career. Um, and so the way that that's played out for me is being willing to take take risks and say, you know, I don't I don't know that this is going to work out. Um, but I'm willing to give it a shot. And I'm willing to put a time frame on that shot, right? To go like, okay, I'm going to try this thing for six months. And if it doesn't work out, then that's okay. Now I have information that will, will help me make the next decision. You know, we, we, it's, it's easy for, for all of us, I think, to get in a place where we don't want to we don't want to leave the driveway until all the all the uh, all the lights are green for the journey. When it's like, well, let's just let's just back out of the driveway. Let's get to the first stop sign. You know, what I mean? next, you know, we might run into a, to some construction. We might have to take a detour. You know, we might realize we forgot something at home and have to turn around and come back. The the activity, and this is something that a good friend of mine, Mark Kinsley, says, and, and we remind each other of this a lot, which is that action reveals answers. You know, we try to have the answer before we do it because we want to, we want to have certainty. And there's almost no certainty anywhere ever (laughs) because we only have this much of the information. Very much so. And, and I'm curious, you know, I'm thinking about as the audience listening to that, right. You're saying, Hey, you know, go all in on taking risks, taking action. I mean, that's, that's the only way that we can learn and can, can actually, you know, get hands on with things. I'm curious, has there, is there a story that comes to mind of a time when you did take a a crazy risk in your career or or take action, you know, without knowing where everything was going to go that either, you know, went badly or went well? I'm curious to hear, yeah, any, any stories you've got. When I left college, I graduated from college and I, and I can tell you, I, I, I attended Liberty University Liberty was was uh, was a great fit for me as a school, not a great fit for me as a basketball program. Um, and you know, people ask me a lot, uh, not a lot. But when people ask me, you know, would you recommend Liberty? You know, what my answer is, I can't really speak very much to the academics because um, I didn't participate the whole time <laughs> academically. But what I can tell you is a great place to find a wife, which is because that's that was the that was the that's the primary thing that is that is um, that's really helped me um, to be where I am and to be on the path that I'm on is because I married Meredith a hundred percent. But when we left school, we moved back to my to to Raleigh, uh, and I purchased uh, the family business. It was a furniture store that my grandfather was a brilliant brilliant businessman that he started in abject poverty. And he built a five, a five location uh, furniture business, had other ventures, did really, really well for himself. 
And the flagship store was the store in Raleigh. And so I came in and I purchased the, I purchased the company. Uh, after a couple of years, unfortunately, my grandfather passed away, which it's really hard. Turns out that when you spend every day with someone in the same place, for, the, for, a, for a meaningful amount of your entire life, when that person is gone and you're, you still go to that place every day, it can make it complicated and it, may, it, can, it, can, it can be tough. So about a year after he passed away, I, I looked around and I thought to myself, this, this thing is all I know. This store, this furniture store is all I know. And it seemed like the walls were, were kind of like getting, like the store was getting smaller and smaller every day. You know, and, and so I, I decided, you know, I, I want to, I think I want to get out of the business. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to go. There wasn't very many examples that I had of people leaving the business successfully. Um, and so I decided I was going to roll the dice and see what happens. Um, I let my family know. And it didn't go over very well. It created a lot of conflict. There was a feeling that, you know, when family business can be complicated because it can be, it can be hard when the whole family is involved to know when the business stops and when the family starts. It's like one big like hairball of, you know, it's all together all the time. And, uh, and so there was a lot of conflict that was created um, and really strained some relationships to the point that, um, that that I didn't speak to a lot of my family for for a, a number of years. Um, and I was still committed to doing what I felt like was the right thing to do, which was to to leave the business that I, I I walked out of my furniture store for on um, September the 6th, 2011. On September the 20th, 2011. So a couple of weeks later, um, we Meredith gave birth to our first child, Kendall. Um, and Meredith had decided, and with my 100% support, that she was going to stay home and uh, with Kendall, which at that time she had a really incredible career. She was in the she was in the uh, electric uh, the the electricity business. Um, she was a she was an energy trader. Um, for for the East Coast, and she was just she had this amazing career track. So we lost her income, lost my income and my business and all I knew, and we added a mouth to feed. It was a real gamble, and so what I told Meredith was, "Give me two years, give me two years, and I'm going to do everything I can to at least get us like back where we were." And then we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out from there. Um, but we were more committed on doing what we believe to be the right thing um, than doing the safest thing. Because the safest thing would have been for Meredith to go back to work. Um, it would have been for me to stay at the furniture store. And there's nothing wrong with running a furniture store. And there's nothing wrong with um, having, having a baby and going back to work. Um, unless that's not what you feel like you're supposed to do. <laughs> you know, um, and and that's and that's that was one of the biggest gambles of of my life, um, and was also the the turning point, the linchpin in my career, that um, that that has that I could have only been here 
if I had done that. It seems like that was a real breakthrough moment for you whenever you decided. I hear so much conviction whenever you're talking about, you know, you decided, you made the commitment, you took a risk and it paid off. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be you wouldn't be where you are today if you hadn't have said, I'm gonna let that go and I'm gonna chase um for what I feel like I'm being called to do next. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you decided to do that, you said, Meredith, give me two years. I'm going to make this happen. What was your first plan of action? Where did you go? Um, and how did you get started on the track now of where you are today? Oh man, this is going to be terrible. This would be terrible advice Um, (laughs) because I, I didn't have a plan. I, I, and I can honestly tell you, I, I still don't really have a plan. (laughs) Um, I've never, I've never, you know, for some people it works to set, you know, set a goal six months from now, a year from now. I have always found that when I set a goal, um, I I do not achieve as well as when I don't set the goal. Um, Because usually I underestimate myself. And I try to set a goal that I have at least a little certainty or surety that I can do. And when I set a goal that's way bigger than what I think I can do, it creates so much anxiety that it's not worth, it wouldn't be worth it if I did achieve it. And so, and so what I did is I just said, look, I have, and this part of this is coming out of college and, and, and having a realization that, um, that, that I had more potential than I had given myself credit for. And that, and that more of that story that I talk about that a lot in my, in my TEDx talk. So to, to save time, we won't, we won't do all, all of that, but if for, for relevance, like you might, you might point people toward that. But what I what I did was I just said to myself, I don't know what I don't know what my potential is. What I do know is it's in my uh, it's it's in my capacity to do everything I can to go find out. And so I said yes to everything that I could. I took an entry level sales position in a company called Tempur-Pedic uh, Mattress Company, um, and I just said like. I said, yes, every chance I got for development, every chance I got to, 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 to work with um, someone, to, to raise my hand, to, to do an extra project, whatever it was, I raised my hand 100% of the time. No goal. It's like, I just need to be as far as I can possibly be two years from now. No idea. And one of the times that I raised my hand was about nine months into taking the entry-level position at Tempur-Pedic. Um, and we were scraping by, like we were barely, barely making it. And um, I got a call from a customer, one of my customers at Tempur-Pedic. And she tells me, she's like, hey, look, I've got, I've got this big problem. I need your help. So my first thought is like, this is the, my biggest customer. I don't want, I can't afford to lose any, I can't afford to lose a single dollar. So I get in my car, she lived, her office was on the other side of Raleigh. So I get in the car, go to the other side of Raleigh, walk in. This is when we used to like prioritize being with people in person, you know, back in the olden days. Throwback, yeah. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Um, and so I show up in her office and she just goes, look, I've got a, I've got a real problem. I just got a call. And my, my manager has told me that they signed me up for like this stupid leadership program. And I really don't want to go it's like after hours and 
Um, they told me that I was, un if I was uncomfortable, that I could, that I could have someone attend with me, like one of my, one of my people. She goes, I'm really uncomfortable attending something like that with one of my people. So um, I know you're into this kind of thing. So if you'd be interested in going, we'll pay for it. And I'm like, yo, word up, like three hours of like free, like leadership training. Like, this is awesome. So like a week later, we'll show up and, you know, she, she's there, I'm there. There's like 15 other people there. And the, the a guy walks up to the front of the room and starts and he goes, Hey, look, welcome to the Dell Carnegie program for the next eight weeks. We're going to, and I was like, wait a minute, eight, like, I thought I was coming for three hours and I'm, <laughs> now I'm committed to like this eight week thing. Um, but that program fundamentally changed my life and it helped me to become or, and be on a path to becoming a better professional. My business acumen went up, my ability to tell stories, my communication, my ability to problem solve, manage conflict. It made me a better parent, a better uh, a better husband made me a better friend. It made me better as just as just in who I was and how I saw myself. Um, and I know for sure that I could not upset a goal that got me to that thing mm. because it wasn't a goal. It was an attitude, and it was a direction, and it was consistently over time. A direction. I like that, and that program is still offered today, right? That foundational yep. Dale Carnegie course. Um, what was, if you could pinpoint the one thing, I know you said it changed everything. Yeah. What was that one thing? If you could take yourself back that shift that happened while you're in the program, uh, that you most took out of it, what was that? It was, it was a, so there's a, a couple of a couple of quotes that really stuck with me. One that I can remember the trainer, uh, the trainer at the time, who, uh, whose whose name is John Faust, who who I know Parker, you know, and uh, Faith, I'm sure you've heard his 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 name. He's he's a legend. Um, but he he said this quote by William James, which was, "Our greatest power is the power to choose." And it was that realization that I really I really did have a choice, and particularly around the way I responded to things. And my response did not have to be some like um, some factory setting, some evolutionary like thing that turns in my head that it is just some sort of response to um, to a circumstance or a person or some sort of emotional elevation that I can choose how I responded um, and I could use my emotional responses as tools to communicate more effectively and not just to signal what I felt inside, right? So I could feel angry and know that if I respond the way I feel, then I'm not going to get the outcome that I seek. And so I can go, okay, I feel angry. Okay. So does that help me to communicate this way? No. Okay. So what would give me the best possible uh, chance for the best probable outcome? Well, maybe to approach it in a more relatable way, maybe to give them the benefit of the doubt and start with something like, um, hey, I, I, I know I know it's not your intention to to um, to to hurt me or to make me angry. 
you know, when when this happened, here this was my response. And so I, 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 I'd like to I'd like to discuss that with you and get your side, right? And just those, that small thing to go, okay, wait, you have a choice in how you react and you respond to things, but you have to be willing to be aware that you are making those choices. And like them, they made me mad or the devil made me do it. You know, those things, that's, those are cop-outs. So that was a big one for me, Faith. The, the other one was, it gave me, it gave me space to really think about the way I was communicating with other people. But maybe more than that, it gave me the space to think about how I was communicating with myself. Um, wow. So if, so if you think about, you know, and, and, and you think you think about Dale Carnegie's 30 principles that, that he lays out in, in his book and that, that, um, that are taught in Dale Carnegie programs all over the world, you have three sets of principles. The first set of principles are becoming a friendlier person, principle one through nine. The middle ones, and these are foundational, right? So the foundation and then above that is 10 through 21, which is about how to gain more willing cooperation with people. And then 20, um, 22 through 30 are leadership principles. So this is how, how, do, I, um, how do I inspire or, um, or influence um, other people to, uh, to cooperate and to get better outcomes? What I, what I realized was those first nine principles, those are self-talk principles. These are principles about how we talk to ourselves, which impacts how we behave with other people. So these are attitudes, not, they're not tactics. And that, that, flip, that switch turning on was paramount for me because it helped me realize that I had so much control over my outcomes because I had control over myself, which I'm still, I'm still working on. But I know I have a infinitely more control over myself than I did 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's, there's so much there in terms of seeing your kind of uh, your learning and growth process through it all. But not only that, I mean, seeing how it's impacting the things that are happening around you, right? The people that are around you, the, you know, I, I know just from, from following your work, how much you talk about, you know, the, the people around you, the community, the mentors, right? I know that's a, a huge piece of your work. And, you know, tell us more about how, you know, coming out of that now, how is that shifting for you, your community, your peer relationships, but even those, those mentors and the people that you're learning from? from how is it changing your relationships so when 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 the when the attitude for growth is consistent over time mm -hmm. and curiosity is a is 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 a primary uh emotional position let's say um it it's it's impossible to be judgmental and to be curious at the same time so if you're consistently curious, you're almost never judgmental. And so if you're not judging uh, circumstances, opportunities, people, relationships, it makes it a lot easier and you're a lot more free to, uh, to, to, to seek out, ask questions, um, really be genuinely interested in other people. And when you do that, 
something interesting happens. You start to attract people that are also that way. So I can honestly say that I have not ever really sought out a community. I, I'm, I am a, I, I like to say I'm a, I'm a closet introvert. People <laughs> think that I'm extroverted. Um, yep. I would way rather be by myself. People wear me out. Um, and I need, I need time when I've spent a lot of time with people, I need time by myself, um, because that's how I recharge. Um, but it doesn't mean to be introverted. doesn't mean you're, you're, you're socially inadequate. What it means is, is that you recharge alone. And if you're extroverted, it means you recharge with people, right? It's really a matter of, of, of energy management more than it is, you know, social capabilities. Right. And so when when i'm when i'm thinking about the people i want to be around my my the thing i come back to is something that a mentor said to me um, when meredith was pregnant with kindle which was um, if you just focus on this thing you'll be okay if you just focus on becoming the type of man that you would be proud for your daughter to marry you'll be fine just be that guy that's it if you can be that guy everything else is going to work itself out and so as i've been that it's um it what ends up happening is people see that in you they see what you are becoming not necessarily what you are they see what you're striving for and they go that's the type of person i want to be around because that's something that that is uh, important to them as well, and I'm really proud of the of of the friends and the network that I have, um, because it's comprised of like-minded people that believe vastly different things. So it's not based around a particular way of ideology, seeing the world, political persuasion, um, cultural. Um, cultural tendency, um, faith tradition, it's not based around any of that stuff. Um, it's based around, I am trying to become the person that um, my potential will allow. And I'm interested in being, uh, asking and inviting other people to go on the journey with me. That's the common thread through my through the people that are closest to me. And I have worked really hard to not make it, not just be close to people because, let's say, just because we go to church together, just because we have the same political persuasion, just because we live in, you know, we, we, we live in the same neighborhood, which may indicate that we have the same, you know, in, in general, the same, we're the same, we're in the same tax bracket or whatever it is, it's, it's, it's when, when we are focused on continually improving, and, and when we say, when we say becoming, it's not perfection, it's progress, right, so it's when I'm focused on progress, that actually is progress, because sometimes we think that progress is progress when it's actually killing us, Right. So if we say progress is this amount of money, well, if you have to sacrifice being around your kids and having a healthy relationship with your significant other 
or your own mental health, well, that's not progress, that's posturing, right? So progress is, you know, what am I doing to be able to create a life where I can be content and also not be satisfied? Because those are two very, very different things. And those, that for me has been, uh, has been a really important part of my, I guess, mental positioning um, for the last 15 years-ish. There are so many good things in there that you said to highlight that progress over perfection. That in particular really speaks to me. And as a lot of uh, Gen Z students are listening right now, they might be thinking, oh, I have to be perfect. I have to be at this certain level by this certain time. Uh, they might have the tendency to be around people that only believe what they do. Mm -hmm. um, and so you just gave so many good nuggets of wisdom in there. That I hope is a, is a challenge to people listening to the high school and college students that are hearing you speak. What is one piece of advice that you would give them? Maybe the best advice that I got was um, I had the ability to meet um, and really get to know pretty well um, a guy named Jerry Falwell Sr., who was the founder and chancellor of, of Liberty University. Um, he was very, very uh, political in his day. And so people had, a, a, you know, differing views depending on your persuasion. Um, he was a very influential pastor, particularly in, in like the evangelical space. I grew up in a, in a Christian school. Uh, I was a senior and I had an impasse about where I was going to play basketball in college. And there was, it was kind of like my parents wanted me to go to one place. My coach wanted me to go to a different place. My pastor wanted me to go to the same place my coach did. So I was torn because I really respected and loved everyone that had their opinion. So I didn't know what to do. And I knew I'd really disappoint, probably hurt the people who, um, who were on the losing end of that decision. Jerry Falwell found out that there was a recruit named Doug Stewart that, um, that was getting pressure to, on whether he should attend Liberty or not. So Jerry Falwell got in his uh, Suburban with his uh, entourage and drove three and a half hours to, uh, to my church. He called my pastor and he told my pastor that he would be preaching on Sunday because that's what you do when, you're, when you have the uh, influence like Jerry Falwell and that he wanted to meet with me before the service. So I walk in and, and, and to, it, was, it was horrifying. Cause this guy's like, he's like, he's like the Moses of, you know, the 1980s evangelical movement. You know what I mean? Like he's really, really is important. So I'm sitting in my pastor's office um, with my parents. He hadn't arrived yet, but I can tell you, and, and I can't explain this, but there are a handful of people that I've met where you can feel their energy coming before you can ever see them. And it was like, I felt him when he crossed the county line. You know what I mean? It's like, there's just like a thickness in the air. And so you, you, hear, you hear footsteps down the hall, these two like big old burly men flank the doors, it's his security detail, and he walks in, he sits behind my pastor's desk, he leans up on the desk, 
And he says to me, he says, young man, God does not care where you go to college. Hmm. Where do you want to go to college? And I was like, uh, like Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, nothing will get in your way from here on out. If you want to go to Liberty, go to Liberty. If you want to go to the other school, go to the other school. God doesn't care. Now, this guy is the faith leader for an entire, you know, Christian movement. And he's looking at me going, dude, God doesn't care. You're overcomplicating this. Just pick your place and go. And I think that is like the, the thing that has been so darn helpful for me, because when I have to have all the certainty in the, that if I have to know everything and I have to have full certainty, what I'm asking of myself is to be God is to be something other and more elevated than human itself. And if I can let go of that and then realize that like, like it's not that deep. Like if you're in high school or college, you could screw up for a decade after college and still be super good in life. Like you could really like, my, my grandfather's an example of this. He didn't start in business till he was 38. And we have this thing because we think we compare our realities to other people's highlight reels. And we think because they look happy all the time that they are. And we think because they go on a vacation that they're financially secure. And we think because, you know, they, they, are, they are able to, you know, fake the funk and make people believe one thing that that's their reality and it's just a highlight reel and then we look around in our reality and go you know like it's not as good as what i'm seeing so we compare ourselves to things that aren't real and we put all of this pressure on on ourselves to be successful at every turn when success doesn't create success create success su success a lot of times creates mediocrity because it makes people take their foot off the gas. It makes people soft. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the hard things that make and create success. I haven't met any successful people. And when I say successful people, I mean like people that are like, like that are running really big businesses or that have lots of influence or affluence, like the, like the, like the up, up, up level of, of successful people. I've never met a single one that did not have what they would describe as a devastating failure, devastating loss. None of them. And, you know, I, I look back and, and the thing, my big turning points were all failures and all of those things pointed me in a better direction. And I would be so, I, I would not have the life that I have if, and, and I would not have the contentment or the happiness that I have in life if I had been uh, in a furniture store doing what I knew I didn't want to do for the rest of my life. My marriage wouldn't be as good. My life wouldn't be as good. I, I would not enjoy my kids as much as I'm able to. And it's all because I got my face kicked in in September of 2011 by this devastating loss that I was ashamed of for two years. Mm. Um, so like, don't try to be God by thinking you need to know everything. And don't think that God cares so darn much about every little decision. 
right? Because, and then, and then here's, here's the other thing I, I would say, Faith, is um, the worst advice. So that's, that was good advice that I got. The worst advice that I think people give people, parents, adults, educators give young people, it's two things. The first one is don't quit. That's the dumbest advice of all time. Equally dumb advice is that you can be anything you want to be. Both of those things are just absurd. Don't quit is crazy because it causes us to hang on to fail to things that we could learn from and move on from. So quit and then do something else, right? If it's not going to work, you know, the whole like, there's not a plan B. Well, there's always a plan B. That's wild, right? And if you think you can be anything you want to be, oh, here comes disappointment. Because you can't. You can be any, this, this is how I tell this to my kids. You can't be anything you want to be. What you can be, you can be anything that you want to be that you're skilled at or that you're talented in and that you're willing to build a skill consistently over a period of time. You can be anything that matches that. But like I'm I'm 38 and 6'7. There, I'm not gonna be a jockey in the Kentucky Derby as much as I might want to. Out of the cards. Can't. You know, and I'm not gonna backpack through Europe. I can't. I got kids, I got a family. I don't want to. <laughs> you know? And so thinking that I can be anything I want if I just positive mental attitude wild and thinking that you shouldn't quit well there's a lot of people that are in college that should drop out there's a lot of people in the middle of startup land and parker i mean i know that you you play in that space and i'm sure you you've seen this is there's lots of people in startup land that need to that that would do good to go you know what this was a bad idea i should stop raising money and let's go do the next thing on to the next thing so so quit and keep going. Mm. Quit and don't give up. Dang. What a way to end it. I love that. And that's so powerful. I love, I love the way that you tell stories. It's so engaging and, and the lessons that have come out of it for you. So um, Doug, if people like this conversation, they want to see more of you, what's the best place to, to go? And, and we'll make sure to put those links in the chat or anything. But, but if you had to kind of pinpoint one place, um, what would be the best place to continue following you? Yeah, for sure. So, so the, so the preference would be is don't, I would say, I would say don't connect with me unless you're willing to do something with the conversation you've heard so far. <laughs> so, so do something with it first, right? Because I, I really do, you know, Faith and Parker, I, I hope people enjoy this infinitely more important is I hope they do something with it. Yeah. Um, and if you are, <laughs> then really the two main places is LinkedIn um, so if you search Doug Stewart or Doug Stewart 919, um, you'll find me pretty quick. Uh, and then the other places on my website at, um, at kendalldouglas.com. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being willing to jump on today, share the conversation. Uh, always a, a good learning experience and great conversation. So really appreciate you. For sure. Thank you both. Awesome. Thank you. Very much so. And uh, if you're listening for the first time, make sure you're subscribed. It's the easiest way to get notifications every time we drop a new episode. And we'll see you again next week for another great conversation. See ya.